Our sermon reading for this morning is Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the courts, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gifts at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said... It was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this, comes from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So how do you feel? Are you just a smidgen uneasy? Welcome to the club. That's the purpose here, brothers and sisters. No, the purpose of these, these words is not for you to hear them and then brush yourself off and go, wow, I'm really holding to Jesus' law better than I thought I was. No, the appropriate response to a reading like this is, uh-oh, this is not good. I'm hearing things that that definitely speak to my life in a very meaningful and appropriate way, and I really don't know what to make of that. The appropriate response is just a little bit of a little bit of hand wringing. Jesus doesn't give us these words to make us feel great about ourselves. But let's get this thought out of the way as well. 
This reading does not exist so that as you walk out of church today, you think to yourself, wow, God really hates me, and if I don't get my act together, God is going to hate me for all eternity. No, that's not the purpose for this reading. The purpose for Jesus' sermon today is the law. He preaches the law even when it's uncomfortable. And so first, today, I think we got to examine what the law exactly is and, and how it works on our hearts. Martin Luther breaks the law down in, into three parts. He says there are three uses of the law, the curb, the mirror, and the guide. And these aren't new teachings. It's not like he created some, some brand new teaching that is completely foreign to the Bible. No, essentially all he's doing is categorizing exactly what we see to be true in the Bible. That when God gives commandments, when he gives decrees, when he says you should do this, it falls in either that idea of the curb, the mirror, or the guide. Let's take that, that curb first. The law that that God puts on our hearts or, or the, God, the law that he speaks to us through his Ten Commandments serve to be a curb for us and a curb for those around us to bring some type of morality and control to this fallen and corrupt world. At least as much control as you could imagine for a world that has been so, so damaged by sin. He delivers the curb so that some type of order, some type of conscience is able to exist in our hearts as well as in the hearts of unbelievers. Something to sort of bump us and keep us on track. He also uses the law second as a mirror. And that's the one I think we're going to focus on, especially with our reading for today. The mirror that God holds up to us when he when he shows to us the Ten Commandments, and then he says, now look at your life in comparison to those. We see ourselves as we actually are. No sugarcoating. No making us feel good about some of the things we did, although a few of the things are, are no good. No, when he holds up that mirror of his perfect law, and his perfect expectation of us, we have no other recourse but to say, this is the expectation of God, and this is what I've done. There's the mirror. And then one more use of the law is really just for, for us Christians. With forgiven hearts, he, he then takes his law and he says, now you've lived like this before you were converted. You've lived in depravity. You've lived in corruption. Now I want you to live differently. I am going to give you a guide for how you can live with me. Walking according to the way that I want you to live. He lays out this guide for us. Love the Lord with all your hearts and love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, today in our reading, we see God use the law in some pretty, pretty meaningful and intimate ways with us as he doesn't just lay down general parameters and he speaks to things that maybe you and I hear and go, yeah, that's me. Jesus points out things that I think even, even unbelievers and Christians struggle with. 
no sin is a small sin. That no sin is, is greater than another sin. That is the point that Jesus is trying to make here. You can't say, well, at least I didn't commit adultery or at least I didn't kill anybody. No, Jesus is saying if, if you've spoken those words, you've committed murder. And if you've allowed your eye to wander, you've committed adultery. He is taking that law and, and he is just sort of, he's sort of hammering us with it, isn't he? And we can go step by step through here. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, but I'm going to do you one better. I am going to elevate that standard even higher. I don't want you to even use foul language directed towards other people in your life. I don't even want you to say, you fool. He takes that standard, he takes that expectation, and he raises it for us. And he doesn't stop there. He takes the punishment, and he raises it too. Yeah, we might think that if we call somebody a fool, that if we treat our brothers and sisters poorly, then ultimately the worst case scenario, we lose that relationship, right? No, that's not what Jesus has to say to us today. He says, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Your words matter. My words matter. And we should take sin seriously. And then Jesus, he moves on to adultery and he says, you might have heard that it's just the people that, that commit the act of adultery that are, that are in danger of losing their faith, but I'm going to do you one better. I am going to elevate that standard as well. Anyone who even looks at somebody with a lustful eye that is not their spouse is guilty of committing adultery. He raises that standard as well. And then he ups the punishment, doesn't he? It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. We have to face the fact that even those sins of thinking, those sinful urges of looking, those are sins that, that demand a punishment, and that punishment is hell. Yes, the act of looking, Jesus says, is sin, and it's serious. And then he sort of takes the next two, and, and in some ways they can be kind of lumped together. As Jesus says, you're not supposed to break the oath that you made to your spouse. Oh, also, you are not supposed to break any oath that you make to anyone here on earth. Allow your yeses to be yeses and your noes to be noes. You don't have to swear about things. You don't have to promise things that you aren't going to do. And all of a sudden, we realize that that's, that's pretty intimately attached to our lives, too, isn't it? Those things that we tell people nonchalantly that we're going to do for them, and we leave completely undone. We might move past them very quickly, but Jesus himself here says that it is a dangerous sin. Do you get where we're going here, brothers and sisters? There's this concept 
uh, in traditional Judaism that there are 613 mitzvot. They're, they're the 613 laws that you are supposed to keep according to that faith. And if you keep those laws, guess what? You're good to go. That's what Jesus is attacking today feeling inside of us that holds up the Ten Commandments and goes, yeah, I don't really break that one too much. Yeah, I don't really break that one too much. That one's not really a problem for me. No, Jesus is trying to intimately attach all of those commandments to our lives and make us realize that we fall deeper and deeper and deeper into them every day. That sin is not something that visits us two, three, four, maybe six times a day if we're having a tough one. No, sin's sin's attached to us. It permeates throughout our entire lives. It gets his grubby little fingers. It stains its grubby little fingers on every single part of the way that we interact with each other and the way that we interact with God. So are you miserable yet? Are you done? Has the law beaten you over the head over and over and over again as God says, here's my standard, here's where you are. Here's my standard, here's where you are. I know I am. As I read through all of those verses, I go, my goose is cooked. This is it for me. Jesus' laws are too much for me to bear. And then Jesus says, now you're ready. Now you're ready to go back to to verse 17 before, before these verses even took place when he says, Do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I take sin seriously. Jesus says, I take your sin so seriously, each and every one of the little sins that you do, I take so seriously that I am going to do something about them. Jesus takes your sin so seriously that he says, you know what, in my life here on earth, I will avoid it completely for you. And it's with that in mind that we reread this entire section of the gospel that we've been going through. And our jaw just sort of falls to the floor as we realize that all of the things that Jesus is talking about, the words, the urges, the looking, all of that stuff is something that he was able to completely and utterly avoid in life. He did all of those things for you. I tell you that anyone who is angry with a or sister will be subject to judgment. So Jesus just decided not to get angry with anybody. Jesus did not bring unrighteous anger to the table, but instead he replaced it with mercy, compassion, and love. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart, so he just didn't. He took all of those outward temptations, all of those things that the world would would force in his face, and he cast them aside and said, I will not give in, and I will not give in for you. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. 
So Jesus did just that. When he would say yes, he meant yes. When he would say no, he meant no. And when he would make a promise to the people and when he makes a promise to you, he fulfills it. Even when it is weighty. Even when it is difficult. Even when it means death and punishment. Brothers and sisters, Jesus takes your sin so seriously that he takes it away from you. That all of the punishments that we hear about in our reading, all of the, all of the judgment and all of the hellfire, he says, that cannot be theirs. That must be mine. When he sees that you are, you are lined up in the crosshairs for what the punishment of your sin calls for, and that is eternity in hell, he says, you know what? I will take that for them. Our sins seem innumerable, and yet Jesus himself is able to number every single one of them so that he can pick them up off of you and place them on himself. Brothers and sisters, he takes your sins seriously enough to show you a serious kind of love. One that doesn't just say, I love you, but shows it. He refused to allow you to be punished for your sin. And so he took the punishment of hell, that consequence that we deserve, and he said, I'll take that for you. Yes, the seriousness with which Jesus takes your sin is mind-blowing. Because it's in those moments when we see the full depravity of our lives laid bare that we understand just how wide and deep the love of Christ is for us. And with that in mind, with that in mind, we switch and we use the law not any longer as a mirror but as a guide. Jesus says, I've saved you from my sin. Now here's how to live with me. And I think as we, as we read a couple of those verses, we might think to ourselves, I think Jesus is talking a little hyperbolic here. I think maybe he's going a little over the top when he says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. And throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. No, maybe, maybe Jesus isn't talking about losing body parts. But he's trying to impress upon us to now take our sin seriously. I one time heard another, another pastor sort of make this comparison. I, I wish I knew who it was because I would, I would credit that person. Uh, but he, he hearkened back to, to September 11, 2001. When, when, the, when terrorists took over some planes and, and flew them into buildings and, and caused one of the most devastating things to, to ever occur in this country. And, and a lot of things changed after that day happened. And one of the things that, that we see change the most was air travel. 
all of a sudden you couldn't just stroll up to the gate, there were metal detectors and people with wands and a big machine where you would stick your luggage through. No, our government had said at that time, we as a people had said at that time, we can never allow something like this to happen again. We take it so seriously that we are going to put so many things into place so that something like this can never occur again in our country. Is that the attitude with which we approach sin? Could that be the dramatic attitude with which we approach sin? Where we look at a sin that is forgiven by Christ and say, never again. I will never give in again and I will take every single, every single measure possible to make sure that I never get tripped up by that sin again. Are you willing to, to abstain from the situations in which maybe you could be tempted to call your brother or sister a fool? Are you willing to take a step back to maybe even dramatically put, put a, a relationship at arm's length so that you are not tempted to fall into the sin of slander or hatred or frustration? Can we take sin that sin of adultery seriously enough that we say whether it is looking or pornography or infidelity, we are going to keep that as far away from us as possible and we will put the measures in place that are necessary to keep it out of my life. Are you willing to have those difficult conversations with the people around you to make sure that nothing like that ever happens again? When it comes to our oaths in marriage and elsewhere, are we willing to have those conversations that are serious with our spouse or with our friends? The ones that say, I am going to actually watch the words that come out of my mouth. When I tell my spouse I'm going to be faithful to her, I mean it. When I tell her that I'm going to be honest with her, I mean it. Can we go through those, those hard dramatic circumstances of ripping the sin out by the root and making sure it never, ever comes into our lives again. Well, that's a tall task, isn't it? It's a tall task that if, if left to ourselves, there's no chance. But Jesus doesn't leave that task to you. He promises, in the way that he so often does, he promises that he is going to send his Holy Spirit to be with you. That whenever you are, are taking on a sin, whenever you are taking on a temptation, those temptations that have become so acquainted to us that it feels as if they are ever-present, when we're taking on those temptations, Jesus says, don't worry, my Spirit's going to be with you. You don't fight by yourself. In fact, the Holy Spirit fights for you. He says, I'll promise, I promise that he will come and be your shield and your strength so that when that temptation comes roaring against you, you have the word of God, the spirit of God in your back pocket to fight against it. And yeah, 
you're going to lose. To some of these temptations, you're going to lose day after day, week after week, month after month. But Jesus doesn't give up. He says, I'll keep fighting for you and I will keep fighting with you. That each and every day, you might have new resolve to stand up to the temptations that plague you. Brothers and sisters, our, our sin is serious. Thank God Jesus took our sin seriously enough for us. Seriously enough to free us from it. So that it doesn't control us in this life. And we can look forward to a day in which the temptation never comes. The consequences aren't even thought about. And there is no punishment for us. That day in heaven in which sin is gone. And all that's left is a serious love that Christ has for you. Let's look forward to that day together. Amen.